Story Forward fanatics. You have come to the right place because this is the Story Forward podcast. Podcast. Yes, it jumped is. on my line. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to get more assertive. I, of course, am Larry Rosen because you know the sound of my voice. And next to me is Christian Wynn. Christian Wynn. Co-host. You know the sound of his voice. So we're humming right along here in season three or four, depending on how you count. Of season three, our fourth episode. Our fourth. Uh, our fourth, fourth uh, yeah, see, uh, it gets a little confusing, doesn't season it? Season three, our fourth season. Okay, folks. When we started um, sort of strategizing on how to do this season, there was a lot of talk on staying away from the big three sports. That means yeah. baseball, football, basketball. Now we've had some baseball. No football, really very little basketball. Very, That'll come I up uh, a little later, I think, maybe. Just yeah. in passing, though. We're than, looking for sports that yeah. are sometimes uh, considered non-ball sports. Non-ball sports. Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't think of what else. Like extreme sports, no. And in fact, I think that comes up in our discussion with one of our guests, one of our storytellers on this episode. No, not extreme sports. Not, not alternate, alternative not alternate sports. No, yeah, no, because of the sports that we're discussing in this one are sports that have been applied for thousands of for years. Of, yeah, maybe <laughs> like literally swimming. Yeah. Swimming, Bi- running. Bicycling, maybe bicycling. not as much. Um, it's, yeah. a tri- it's a triathlon of stories. Uh, and we've brought in three people to tell stories about their experiences on uh, bicycles on foot in the ocean. And here's how it's going to go. Yeah. First up, we will have Chelsea Richter of Salt Lake City, Utah. That's what does right. Chelsea do? Uh, you Chelsea know. is an artist. Um, she is a visual artist, and she's also a food artist, and she's also a, I, guess, I mean, she's a private chef, and she Her does a lot of catering, and she's awesome, and she's a very creative soul, and she lived in Boise for years and worked at the awesome bar Guernica, um, mm. the old Basque joint down on the Basque block. And she's kind of a riot, and... Um, yes. So I was, you know, her story, again, a lot of these stories start out seeming like stories of triumph. And then there's a little chink in the armor there yeah. toward the end. doesn't make it as triumphant. So her story is yeah. quite funny that she's going to tell about running a marathon in Park City, Utah. Yes. After that, we will have Kim Cross. Kim Cross. Who is the real deal. She is. Check her out. She is a journalist. Uh, or, or do you call it a creative nonfiction or journalism? Oh, uh, she's like feature, ju- yeah, magazine stuff. But she also is, um, I don't know. She she's a rep- this reportage, I guess. I don't know. She, she you know she doesn't. She makes a point of you know, at least in this conversation. Um, she had mentioned that she doesn't like to insert herself too right. very much. Though so this particular piece, so of course, we're going to make her do just that. I know because this piece in particular that she had published in Outside Magazine um, yeah. is a it's very personal. It's a very skillfully told story uh, about taking an assignment and having it go in a different direction. Yeah, and uh, it talked. Well, you'll get you'll, you'll hear it, but it's about you know sort of motherhood away. as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Last and certainly not least is my pal Bridget Quinn, who has she ever the BQ the BQ has. Is this the first time we've gotten her to do something? I know you were. I mean, it's. I'm sure you told BQ this, but she was kind of elusive for it. She said she was elusive. She'll do this. Oh right, and then she she finally did. Couldn't do it. Yeah, she uh, yeah. So she comes in with guns a blazing uh, to tell a story about triathlons. Uh, As an added feature, Kim Cross hung around. I know. Uh, listen to the story, and I think that she gets on mic once or twice. I think she shows that this was yeah 
I think, well, she's kind of nodding and whatnot. I don't think she actually commented. <laughs> she had that said. She's covering her mouth because she's cracking up. Yeah, it's, this is some pretty Bridget funny stuff. quite the raconteur. Yes, indeed. Uh, these are all eye-opening stories for me because I participate in none of these uh, sports. Running only when you have to. <laughs> Swimming? Uh, yeah. Um, no. I, I, yeah, I mean, I have a pool. So oh, you just floating, floating. Yeah, forget, oh, you forget about swimming. your new fancy was pool. not on a swim team. Uh, cycling, I just I, I paused on that because we did buy bicycles. All excited that we are going to become people who ride bicycles, and we've been on them like four times. Ugh, this is you and your wife. Mm-hmm. We live on top of a hill. Oh, you get to, you, you do the little ride, then you I get to the hill. Like, oh, jeez, really? <laughs> I got to go up this hill. You got to go with the the cheater e bikes. You know. Well, we should have done that. Anyways, that's enough about me. Shouldn't call them cheaters. Sorry, e bike owners. <laughs> <laughs> come, at, come at us, e-bike owners. Come on. Uh, so we're going to start off with Chelsea. And um, I don't think there's anything else to say. Let's just get into that story. Chelsea Richter. This is a story of my one and only marathon. Oh. Yeah. So I'm not a very disciplined or consistent runner. And um, so I developed this strategy that I liked to call race to train, (laughs) wherein you sign up for a race and then you feel obligated to train for it. And it works brilliantly. Um, I've done Roby Creek a couple times using this method and it gets you back to running if you've kind of slacked off. And uh, I was living in Park City and I found out... uh, that they have the Park City Marathon. And the great thing about the Park City Marathon is it's on a single track, it's trail running, and I don't run on the road. Hmm. So voila, I Mm -hmm. finally had a marathon that was kind of appealing to me. The problem was that I I found out about it with six weeks to train. (laughs) And I'm just kind of ballsy, and so I thought, well, why not? Like, I'm not doing it, I'm not ever gonna be one of the people in the top whatever. I just want to finish it. This seems doable. So I trained. And of course, you really only get five weeks because you should take a rest before you run the 26 miles. And Mm -hmm. I was pretty damaged coming into the race, to be really honest. So I was a little worried about finishing. And uh, I knew my times were going to be pretty slow. And uh, the thing that's really weird about trail racing um, on single track is that it's a mass start. And how do you do that when you have all these bodies and just a single file line? So you kind of do this small quarter mile loop on the road to kind of spread people out a little bit. But man, that first mile, I was in the wrong group of people. If you don't keep up, someone's just going to step on you. Like it's just nose to butt the whole way. And I was having to run way faster than I run for my first two miles basically not off to a great start people finally got spread out and um, one of the things that I learned about these off-road marathons is that there are a lot of people who travel to marathons and um, they're mostly road runners and so they don't understand trail running and they don't really know what they're in for and I was I was kind of pacing with this woman ahead of me and I realized later that she was definitely one of those people because I would just see these clouds of of dust mm-hmm. ahead of me when I would lose sight of her and it was always because she crashed Oh no! so then I would pass her and then eventually she would pass me again and I would try and reel her back in and I would only catch her because she would crash again 
Um, so I made a new friend cause I kept going and helping pick her up and then running away from her and then she would catch me and it went on like this until finally she quit falling and got out in front of me. There was one stipulation with the race. You had to make it to the gondola. So you're basically running through three ski resorts. You start in Deer Valley, you run through Park City and you finish in the canyons. And at the canyons, there's a gondola and you had to reach the gondola by a certain time. Or they would send you down and you would be done. You don't finish. I make it to the gondola. I'm feeling pretty good. It's mile 18. I'm still smiling, running like a normal person. This is about to change. (laughs) Um, I'm stoked. Like, yeah, sweet. There's like another couple miles of like just general gentle rolling hill kind of thing. Then your final five miles are a descent down the ski slopes, basically. And at that point, I was hurting a lot. I was reinventing running. I was like, well, maybe if I run like this, it won't hurt so much or whatever. And um, things were getting pretty, pretty bleak. And um, I looked up at one point and there there was my fella. My guy came to see if I was okay because everyone was finishing and he hadn't seen me. I almost lost it. I almost cried. I pulled it together. He was like, let me help you. I'll pace you. And then I realized that like I was running in front of him and he was just walking. It was mm-hmm. not, I, it was very ineffective what I was doing, but I had to finish. Right. He decided finally sent him away because I just was too frustrated by the knowledge that he could walk as fast as I could run. <laughs> And uh, the final stretch, you hit the main resort area, and your your finish line is the Sundial Arch. And it's in the middle of the resort center, like in a square. It's really beautiful. But to get there, you come down the trails, you hit the pavement, and it's like the back access roads for the restaurants and whatever. And then you, you kind of make this turn, and you, and you finish your race. And I got to the pavement. And there were two volunteers, and I hear one say to the other, do we pull the cones after the last runner? And the other woman said yes, and I passed them, and they pulled the cones. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and so that was a little bit like, that. my heart sank, I won't lie. Um, and I saw up ahead of me, maybe 20 feet, a man with numbers, just like me, on his back, and um, he had one arm around his 12-year-old son and another arm around his wife. And he's like struggle walking to the mm. finish. And I'm not really a sports person. And I, I haven't had a lot of practice with sportsmanship. <laughs> and also, I had just run for six hours. And mm. um, I was in a lot of pain. It was kind of thirsty. And I saw him and something cracked inside of me and I became insanely competitive suddenly. (laughs) And I started running and I ran past the man and his family. (laughs) And 15 feet later, I crossed the finish line. (laughs) I'm so exhilarated by this moment. My arms get thrown up in the air and I exclaim out loud, not last. Oh. Not last. And immediately realize what a dick move that is. <laughs> like, that's awful. That's like, who are you? You don't do that. At which point, like, my heart just sort of feels like it's an advice from being a not nice person. And I turn around and he is laughing. Like, he 
He finds this hysterical. <laughs> Thank God. I immediately start apologizing to him. And he's like, don't worry about it, man. There is no way in hell I could have done what you just did. <laughs> you, you, it's fine. It's all good. And we hugged and I made a new friend after being a complete dick. And I, that's, that's my marathon story. And, and then he told you that it was his second lap. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, he's like, yeah, I just did a hundred miler. <laughs> That's fantastic. Is, yeah, I had heard the, at least parts of that story before. But. I do have a few follow-up <laughs> questions. Yes. <clears throat> Is that why you never ran another marathon? No, I would love to run that marathon again, actually. Yeah, and what, I mean, for me, who's not a runner much, um, and our audience out there. So trail running, how does it dip? I mean, it's obviously on a trail and it's a single track. So one at a time, what, how, what I, why do you prefer that? And as to opposed to uh, the road running and how is it different in style? And How's taking, it different? Yeah, well, um, my introduction to running for the Boise people, um, was Roby Creek and that's on a dirt road mostly. Um, right. so that was kind of a nice, like I realized that was more my jam was to be on trails because I'm a naturey kind of girl, mm-hmm. um, and you know pavement's pretty predictable, and there's not a lot of like, you know, there's nothing in the way when you're dealing with pavement. Generally speaking, curbs, mm-hmm. you know, a random um, speed bump or something, but like, it's pretty straightforward what you're dealing with. But when you get out on single track, dirt. Um, there might be roots. There's you're on hills, you're on sand, you're on dirt, you're on mud, you're on rocks. There's a lot right. of rocks on this trail. Um, and so, I, you know, you just have a much different stride. If you've been running all your miles on road, you've got a really consistent, really smooth stride because there's nothing to sort of stop you from that. But with trail running, you're sort of modulating yourself all the time. I have a follow up question about trail running. Yes. You said it's a single track, so I'm assuming that's a narrow trail. So if you're a competitive um, marathoner on that, how do you pass people? That was the problem with the beginning, right? Like everybody's yeah. just like in a line. And like I said, I was I was having to go a pace like way out, way mm. out further than I wanted to be. Um, and then when you want to pass people, I mean, there's sort of room. I mean, it's not like there's a cliff on either side of you, yeah, right? Like you right. can... And so uh, people are just really kind and they're like, hey, behind you. Or like if you're not listening to music and you're paying attention, oftentimes you can hear somebody. And, you know, some people that helps move them forward to hear people behind them. And Mm -hmm. other people like me, it kind of makes me like, ooh, I don't want (laughs) to slow this person down. I want to I'm actually polite. It turns out (laughs) you Um, are. I can attest to that. Excellent. Uh, I'm not lying. Um, so yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just sort of work it out. But sometimes, you know, if it's a really curvy section or might, there's a lot of roots or a yeah. lot of rocks, it's not, they might have to wait to pass you. It's just like mountain biking would right. work the same way, right? What uh, what year was this? This uh, would have been uh, a decade ago. Actually. Okay, I'm, I'm reaching in the wayback machine. See how much I'm resting yes. on this accomplishment. <laughs> like ten years later, I'm gonna tell that story. That's that's valid. Can't take it away from you. You finished a marathon. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Well, Chelsea Richter, um, is there anything we should know more about you and your art and your life and your cooking and all the all the rest of the awesome things you do? Man, no, not no. really. I, I don't know. Like, 
I don't know. Uh, we should follow you on Instagram. Snow. Yeah, you should follow me on Instagram. You have some great Scarlet cat pictures. Seatron. Lots of cat pictures. Oh, what is your yeah. <clears throat> What is your Instagram if you want it's people to follow Scarlet, you? It's a Scarlet Sage Hen. Okay. And she has some if cool... you like Maine Coon cats, I do. Food porn and sure. mountains. And mountains. You will love my Instagram. Page. And also the car wash shots from inside. Oh, inside yeah. the car wash. I'm big on um, car wash art. Yep. <laughs> It's a thing. I haven't done that for a while. Thank you for reminding yeah, me. Yeah, I love that stuff. It's time. And then you have some paintings at some gallery somewhere up there in Park City, I think, right? So- I do. And in fact, I'm actually working on a bunch. I'm working on a series right now that I will hopefully have finished before um, Valentine's. They're big pieces, so it might take me a while. But okay, I'm excited about that um, mountain, big mountain things that are sort of abstract i'm hoping they turn out like they are in my head i'm sure they'll be awesome well we will let you go chelsea and i will be in touch soon on a personal level okay. to say hi Perfect. and we really you Excellent. know love the story nice yeah, meeting you, you larry <clears throat> nice meeting you thanks for the story it was awesome absolutely right. great have a, happy have friday a good day, guys okay bye. bye well that was chelsea richter next up we have the very awesome kim cross Poppin' wheelies, telling stories. So um, I'm going to read from a story that ran in Outside Magazine uh, in 2021. And then I'm going to tell you the story behind the story. So online, it's called My Month of Doing 100 Wheelies a Day. In the magazine, it was called Hustle and Float. A wheelie is the bicycling equivalent of hanging 10 on a surfboard or spinning a basketball on your finger, a skill as profoundly cool as it is functionally irrelevant. Pedaling around with one wheel in the air won't help you win a race or bomb a gnarly descent. Unlike a front wheel lift or a bunny hop, it has no business on a trail. What the wheelie lacks in utility, it makes up for with pure, unfiltered radness. There's something thrilling about a skill that isn't a means to an end, but the end itself, whose value in doing it is just doing it, simply because you can. Yet it's more than showing off. It's about seeking an elusive, almost mystical state of precarious dynamic balance. You're chasing a sweet spot, a moving target that's constantly shifting in every dimension, including the one in your head. In 20 years of mountain biking, this skill has always eluded me. So in January 2020, I had to plan. 100 wheelies per day for 30 days, 3,000 attempts all told, spread out over two or three months. I'll consult some experts about technique, but mostly I'll just put in the work. And I'm willing to fail prodigiously. How will I define success? The ability to wheelie indefinitely until I choose to put the front wheel down. I'll simultaneously tackle the manual, a different method of one-wheeled cruise control, because maybe the moves will inform each other, and also because, why not? It's a juvenile pursuit for a professional rider with a mortgage and a 12-year-old boy. But there are, there are more productive uses of my time. But maybe, just maybe, there's some value at, in tilting at your own quixotic windmill. So this, um, this story, it's kind of funny. So I teach, uh, I, I taught creative nonfiction at Boise State, and now I teach uh, feature writing for Harvard Extension. And um, I, one of the assignments I give my students is um, a reported personal essay. And the rules are it has to be forward-looking and um, 
you have to set out on a quest. So you, you, you have to answer some question and um, it takes you on a journey and sometimes it doesn't go the way you expect. And I wanted to write a story that would uh, give them an example and something that had scene and summary and expository asides and something I could do during COVID. And so um, I came up with this. It's pretty simple, pretty easy to explain. And um, I set out to, to doing it. And it was, um, I remember it was winter because I remember there were days where I had to go and do it in the snow. And I just went out and I just did 100 wheelies a day. And um, at first, hmm. it, it wasn't very good. You know, I, I could go, you know, uh, two feet maybe. And then though, you know, what's interesting about learning is that you, um, learning is a nonlinear process. And so the first seven days, I was doing so well that I thought, oh my gosh, no problem. 30 days, <laughs> I'm going to have this. I'm going to be wheeling like circles around people. And some, at some point during that first week, my 12-year-old son decided to opt in. And he is also a mountain biker. I'm a mountain bike coach of a, a team here in Boise, a high school and middle school mountain bike team. And I think he saw his mom getting better at wheelies than he was. <laughs> and something in him was like, I, I better get after it. So he opted in and started joining me. I didn't ask him to, but I, I wasn't going to shoo him away. And so we're out there doing wheelies. And what was interesting is, you know, I'm, I'm very disciplined and I'm going to go out and if I'm having a bad day, I'm going to grumpily do my hundred wheelies. And, um, I noticed that if on the days that I was grumpy, he, he was, he bailed, he, you know, or if he was in <laughs> bad mood. And, um, at some point, you know, we both went, you know, our skills went through the roof and then they kind of hit a plateau and then they got worse. And that's at the point when I started doing a little research about the nature of neuroplasticity and learning. And um, this is this is where the expository side comes in for you writer <laughs> writer people out there. And so I, I looked at first I looked at the history of wheelies and I found that like the first the first person to do a wheelie was um, oh I'm gonna forget his name but it was in like you know a hundred years ago more than a hundred years ago. And um, the first wheelie was actually done I think on a penny farthing and he would oh like pick the, the, the with the big giant wheel in the, the, yeah. the front wheel in the yeah it was oh like the, the, the ultimate <laughs> mullet bike right the yeah. big wheel in the front tiny wheel in the back and and it was done by lifting the rear wheel oh okay but then, I was gonna ask about that after the penny farthing came the safety bicycle which had wheels of equal size and um, that's when uh, someone came up with the idea of lifting the first wheel DJ canary I think was his name and um, it was previously thought impossible. And there was this great line, I found this like Chicago Trib story about like, it was called Wizards of the Wheel. And it talked about how like this required, you know, incredible suppleness of mind and body and also like the willingness to commend to unremitting practice. <laughs> and, um, and it was, you know, it, it was really true. It's one of those things that, you know, requires a lot of practice. And what you're doing when you're learning is you are, developing neuroplasticity like you know the the little neural pathways in your sorry you're, yeah you're developing the neural pathways in your brain and that's where the learning's occurring like your body's learning but really your brain is learning how to move the body and so unremitting practice and doing this thing over and over and over is is super key so um along our little journey we um we had a funny thing happen so um my 12 year old son austin learned from me uh how to basically you know fail repeatedly and not give up and from him, um, I learned how to um, how to have fun again with a childlike spirit. And we found that the sweet spot for both of us in this endeavor was the nexus of work and play. So you know, you have to be um, willing to to do the work, but you also have to have fun with it. You can't take it too seriously. And 
the the really lovely moment in our our journey in the end of the story is where right around day 21 or 27 um, we're out there and we just decide we're we're having a bad day it's not going well and that's the other you know uh, we got really well and then and then we tapered off and then we got bad again and um, that's the nature of of learning is it's nonlinear and on this day we just decided like screw it let's just let's just ride around like you know hooligans and we'll hop curbs and we stopped counting wheelies and we just played around and that was the day that my son turned to me and said mom i want to show you something we're going to have to stash our bikes and uh at that time you know my son had his his little dude friends and they had a place that they would go without grown-ups called the frog pond in our neighborhood and it's it's super mystical sounding and it's really just kind of like a drainage pond but don't tell them that <laughs> I never knew where it was. I just knew that they would go off there to catch snakes and frogs and um, and then they'd come back muddy and really happy. Well, we, we stash our bikes in some bushes. We crawl through like the bushes and we pop out at that at this pond and it's got like tad, uh, it's got tadpoles and cattails and, and it's got this epic rope swing. And the rope swing is um, like kind of a branch that's tied onto a rope that looks like it's a one-way trip to the emergency room and my son says get on i want to push you and i thought for at least half a second and then i was like okay so i'll get on you did hesitate a little bit well yeah just a little bit but i thought oh, it'll be worth it and um and i realized it was kind of this moment where it was like kind of walking through the wardrobe in you know into narnia where i had i felt like i had passed some test <laughs> and i was able to get invited back to never neverland into the world of kids and that's when I realized that like maybe maybe that's like the secret to staying young is to to embracing that childlike joy and, and also, you know, being willing to go all in for stupid, silly endeavors that, you know, are, are not integral to anything, but just just because you can. So that's that's my wheelie story. And, and if <clears throat> I can add that, I mean, the other significant part of that is that's something that just you and he have. Yes, sure. but now the rest of the world, or well, the outside readership does, and now on our podcast. But I mean, but just that exact—I don't know. But what do you think? I'm not a—I'm not a nobody father. else was there. We had when I was when I was when my son was five. We took a trip. Uh, my wife couldn't go. We took a trip to see my sister in Ohio, and then we drove to see these friends of ours who lived near Chicago. And along the way, we stopped. I don't even know why we went to some weird library because it looked like a cool library, and it was in Amish country. And as we came out of the library, we saw a red pickup truck pull up and an Amish guy gets out. And I was like, what the heck? And I explained to my son, who's five, why that was weird. But then after, like, the cool part is nobody else was here except us to see that. That's ours. Because the, uh, the Amish are secretly all about technology. And, <laughs> like, and then, yeah, like, I heard they keep, like, they, at the time, like, well, yeah, they have cell phones in their mailboxes, but... Um, yeah, that was 20 years ago, and it's still like, yeah, remember that time we saw the Amish guy get out of the truck? Yeah, just us. Nobody else was there. That's ours. <laughs> yep, that's yours alone, and it's pretty special. Mm -hmm. I know. Yep. So, yeah, the the wheelie. How'd that go? And where did you practice? I'm curious about just sort of the backstory okay. there. So, uh, if anyone needs wheelie tips, you know. <laughs> it's I great. do, yes. It's great to practice on a slight uphill, oh. and you need to be in like at least fourth gear. Didn't you choose a difficult bike to do wheelies on? I did. It yeah. turns out I have a full suspension Yeti that's a downhill. Well, it's it's an all mountain bike, but um, my son, who now is really good at wheelies, and um, I'm I'm not. Um, even he says it's it's hard to wheelie on, so it's not the optimal geometry. If I could do it again, like my big wish is to one day have a Schwinn Stingray. 
which was oh. from the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. This best-selling is bike of all time. Was it banana, it was like banana bike. seat? Banana seat, mm-hmm. yeah, monkey monkey bars. And mm-hmm. it, it was like, it has the perfect balance point, apparently. Oh. Wheelies. Well, now we've, well, le- we've learned about many things. We have. Uh, Kim? I'm still a little confused by a couple of the, the last part. I'm not even sure what's going on. Before there. we release you from your obligation... Mm-hmm. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? <laughs> yes. You I are a multi-hyphenate. So. I know. And you have some really cool new projects. Yes. Yeah, so um, actually one of my wheelie coaches and someone I met during Operation Wheelie um, at the bike park in Boise is an athlete from Boise named Bo- uh, Braden Bringhurst. He is um, a former uh, like BMX national champion. He was um, a slope style national champion. He went on to do pole vault at Brigham Young University. And he, he's just a really interesting athlete who feels at home in the air and put all of his sports together on um, when he discovered mountain biking. And uh, after Braden coached me in the wheelie challenge, um, at, at some point he approached me and said like, hey, I wanna make this film. Will you be like, will you help me? Will you be my writer, my story architect? And he came up with this uh, this challenge for himself that was very akin to the Don Wall of mountain biking. If you've seen the Don Wall, the climbing story about that last kind of unclimbable stretch of um, in Yosemite of El Cap, it was El Cap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, Braden, looked at the whole enchilada, which is one of the most epic downhill trails in the world. It's in Moab, Utah. It's uh, about 27 miles. Most people get shuttled up to the top, which is above 11,000 feet of elevation. Starts like, you know, in the Aspens. And then it plummets over 27 miles, 8,000 feet to the Colorado River, close to it. Hmm. And there are things, there are features on, like, it's hard to ride this thing downhill. It's really technical. There's super scary features. Um, A lot of riders who have some skill would take five or six hours to descend. And Braden looked at it and said, like, I wonder if I could climb that thing. And not just climb it, but ride every single inch. And there are features on this that are um, as steep as a blue ski hill slope. And, or a playground slide if you don't ski. And that just... You could, you could tell that from my look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? What's that? What is that? Huh? Blue. Right. Um, and he, th- there's this, the crux of the, the, the whole enchilada is this feature called the snotch. It's about halfway up. And it is, um, you just look at it, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ride down it. or No, probably not, not at this age. But it's it's... It's a feature that most people walk. They get off their bikes and they hand mm. their bikes down and they slide down it on their butt because it's hard to walk down it. Hmm. And he um, he dissected it and decided to to try to climb it. And what what's so exciting to me about the story is um, Braden uh, wanted to share the mental skills that made it possible, the mental Jedi mind tricks that have to go with um, you know a, a well trained athletic body. And he. Um, uh, wanted to share these skills with anyone who was facing a hard thing in life or, um, you know, some sort of challenge, a mountain of their own. And so he, he wove, we wove that into the story. And um, so when you, you watch it, you learn these mental strength skills, like the idea that as, as an athlete, or at really, you know, you can train your mind as deliberately as most athletes train their bodies. And you can learn a layer of these, these tools that you can apply to anything that's hard in your life. And that's, that's one of the things you want to do. So that just came out last week. And in, where can people find yeah. it? Um, if you go to YouTube, um, you can look up 8600 FT film. It's on Canyon Bike, Bicycles website. And then I wrote mm. an accompanying feature in Bicycling Magazine, and it's called Braden Bringhurst versus the Beast. And they're hmm. designed to kind of go together. So you kind can check those out. Kind of pretty alliterative. Yeah. 
I like that. All right. Well, and then there's, I guess, I don't know. Do we get the, the bona fides on all fronts, Mr. Rosen? I think so. I think so. All right. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming Kim, in again. Absolutely. And it's great me. to meet you in person. Likewise. Thanks for what you do, you guys. Right. Okay. Our next storyteller is joining us from Occidental, California. My former co-host at the Grotto Pod podcast, author of Broad Strokes, and she votes the one and only Bridget Quinn. Bridget Quinn, welcome. Yay! What are we going to have? I've never been introduced as being from Occidental before. Now you like, like it? You know, wow. Muhammad Ali always introduced himself from Louisville, so I thought I'd do that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know how happy we both are to be out. Um, Bridget, today we are um, hearing stories about, we called it alternative sports, but I think that's kind of squishy. We're going to like change that when we actually publish these so it's a, a sport like not your normal like well run-of-the-mill sports it's, stories it's all yes. changed so much it's changed so much is there something in, in our lifetime and uh listeners kim cross who just read a story told a story is still here so i might ask is, she's not on mic though but is it extreme sports would you call it that no because well, you're not i, I like, have something to say about this you're not, you don't have like wallet chains and flat baseball caps and yeah. Oh, yeah. But maybe she does. Maybe I mean, Bridget do. does. But. I know. Serious. She's got. Like... I just have to say, this is important. My first real writing job was working for the first. Oh, that's ESPN right. Extreme Games. Before it was the X Games, it was no, the Extreme Games. They just took out the other and, letters. Yeah, but that was for dorks. And then there, I w- I would like overheard you know all the original ESPN um, annoyed old sportscaster meetings where they would say how stupid it all was and why they shouldn't be doing it and mm. how dumb it was. And these oh. weren't really sports, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're like all Olympic sports. Yeah, and they were So wrong. there's no such thing as extreme or alternative sports anymore. Yeah. I don't okay, think. they're just all sports. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, whatever you want to call it, and listeners, you feel free to, to throw your own nomenclature on there. Bridget's going to tell a story. And I actually... I mean, I said when I when I approached you about this, I was like, I'll tell a story about triathlon, but I don't actually know if that's what you're going to do. What give us before you tell no, us a I story? I thought we were having a conversation. Oh, you want to have a conversation instead? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, you know, once I, I start we talking, both. it's yeah, really yeah. just talking. <laughs> <laughs> you too. I'm just going to make you tell a story for now. I'm not going to make you, but I'm going to actually ask you to tell a story, and then you guys can converse. Yeah. We'll converse in between. I, yeah, we'd like okay. you to tell a story. Yeah. Okay, but I want you to interject. Okay. And whenever. We can definitely do that. Yeah. And we have promised. Larry and I were famous for talking over each other on our. I think they were still semi famous for it. We're also famous (laughs) for finishing each other's sentences, too, which was kind of. Well, you guys can do that. I can sit back and then, I don't know, just let you all do your thing. But also. I want to hear a story about about triathlons. Okay. Well, okay. First of all, I'm going to start by saying I sound weirder than usual because I have a plate in my mouth. I can not talk very clearly. And you might hear this little clicking noise because uh, my teeth don't touch. It clicks on this giant plastic thing in my mouth, which is related to triathlon because this August I did Ironman Alaska, which yeah. was um, Ironman, I need to tell you because everyone will tell you this if they've done one, <laughs> what it means. It's a 2.4-mile open water swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and a marathon. And you have to finish <laughs> in under 17 hours. So that's a lot. 
I think. And <laughs> I think uh, so too. Yeah. The weather was bad in Alaska. Weird. And the water was freezing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Who so, would have thought that? Well, actually, I did not because doesn't August sound temperate no matter where you are? Mm, it no. did to me. At any rate, it's apparently a rainforest in Juneau and, um, and not that warm. So anyway, it was cold and the water was freezing and I got kicked in the swim, which is not uncommon. Um, and then when I was on the bike by, by a man though, who stopped after he did it and apologized, which that's never happened to me before. Mm. I thought it was so funny and awesome. And first I just need to say it was great. I loved it. I totally had a great time on the bike. I realized my jaw hurt and I thought, uh, wow, that guy must've kicked me pretty hard. Um, Hmm, whatever, not thinking about it. Did, but then like, you know how it is when you're really cold and you're like clenching? Mm, yes. Well, apparently I must have like dislocated my jaw. <laughs> you like over clenched? <laughs> <laughs> well, supposedly, um, supposedly this would have been building up over time, according to my dental person. But at any rate, um, I have to wear this thing plate in my mouth for 16 weeks. Mm. And it sucks. So anyway, that um, that is not my whole triathlon story because it made me think of having having had my recent triathlon injury in what is ostensibly a non-contact sport. It reminded me of my first big triathlon, which was in 2014. I did a half Ironman, which is half those distances, okay. in Oceanside, California, and I was like excited and nervous and. The thing about triathlon is it has just shit tons of, oh, can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, feel free. Okay. Um, <laughs> shit tons of equipment. So you're like managing all these different things, a bike and all your bike nutrition, all your bike clothes and a wetsuit and all your swim stuff and all of your bikes uh, running stuff. And it's super confusing. And as a new triathlete, it just was really overwhelming amount of stuff. So I was nervous. It was like six in the morning. I'm getting everything ready. <clears throat> and... We're down by the ocean, this little setup area, and I'm putting on my wetsuit. It's completely dark out still. And while I'm pulling on my wetsuit, I hear a pop. And I'm like, what was that? And I had my hand inside my wetsuit and I pulled my hand out and like held it up to this giant streetlight. And my <laughs> finger was shaped like a W. Oh, a W. One finger? Which yeah. finger? Yeah. Be my middle thank you for asking my middle finger on my left hand was a piece of elastic that was holding something straight and then cut it it just like went like an accordion oh. so my oh. knuckles were going different directions so i was like oh my god what am i gonna do that's tough because i know you like to flip people off too <laughs> right well, that's a different message when it's a z yeah it's like oh. and i'm like I'm, I'm and i've been training and training and i was so excited to do this and i drove to Oceanside and I was with friends and I'm looking around for like a medic or something, but there are no medics because nothing has happened yet. Nobody would normally need a medic before you do anything. <laughs> so I found my friend Amy, who's a nurse and she goes, uh, you probably need a splint. And then she just like went back to what she was doing because she had her own thing. So anyway, I was like, well, I'm not going to have trained and for all this and not do it. So I was able to finish getting in my wetsuit and I swam a mile and a half, Ooh, um, got without, out and No realized, splint? How was the no pain? Splint, what was the pain level? No, it, my, it didn't hurt. Oh. And I didn't know why. And I was like, this is so strange. But I was kind of freaked out about people kicking my hand because there's 
like thousands of people that you're swimming with. So I was kind of worried about the people and I, um, I get out, I'm like, okay, I'm running toward my bike. And I realized that I only have one hand to take off a wetsuit <laughs> and, um. and try to put on like bike shoes and my helmet. So volunteers had to help me get dressed. And, um, but I got on the bike and I was like, okay, I can ride the bike because tri uh, triathlon bikes don't have the same kind of handlebar setup. You can just rest your arms mm -hmm. on, on them. So, uh, I was able to ride the bike without my left hand very much. Um, so that was going really well. And I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. I'm going to kill it. And right as I was thinking that a woman passed me. Oh, so in triathlon, your age is written on your calf. Oh, well, that seems weird. Yeah. That also happened well, in other places that we won't talk about. We do that in some bars. Larry, like, yeah, Larry has, yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, this is so you know who your competition is. Okay. And I was, I think, 45 at the time. And I'm like, okay, it's fine. My, you know, my hand's fine. I'm, now I'm going to kill it. And a woman goes past me like really fast. I'm like, okay, well, you know, she's probably a lot younger than me. And her, her calf, one calf says, 69 and the other calf i realize is a prosthetic leg oh. <laughs> so, well that's a good by a woman with one leg on the, like within almost the first 70. 10 miles i know and it got worse from there so then like i actually turned out sucked at uh riding my triathlon bike which i had not ridden enough and everyone was passing me and finally near the end of the 56 miles i finally passed someone and she was wearing flip-flops <laughs> So, like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's then I get to the um, the next transition area, and I can see that I'm one of the last people to get off the bike. It's like 2,000 bikes are already there. I pull up. I can't get any of my clothes off by myself. Volunteers have to, like, take my clothes off and dress me in my bike stuff. And then I had to go to the bathroom, and I had to go in Oceanside. It's, like, Oof. 90 degrees, and I have on like tight running clothes with one hand and a porta potty. So that was bad. Yep. Um, and then, and then I've been there. I Don't got, worry. I've, I've totally been there. <laughs> yeah. So then I get out on the run and that's like not going that well. And it's really, really hot, but I'm still happy. I'm holding my hand and I'm holding my hand that way where like, if you're nervous about things, like you don't want it to hurt. So I was sort of holding my finger out. So people thought I was flipping them off. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize for a long time. I was like, why is everyone so mean to me along the side? Or like, and then like, just brash. The brash. <laughs> the brash half iron man. And, and I'm super slow. So I'm like slowly moving through the crowds where they're like, what the fuck? So then there's like music playing. And of course, over and over again, someone keeps playing Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> which... I'm like, this is so crazy because I'm going so slow. Um, but I caught the one-legged woman with the 69 on her leg, and I'm like, go past her. <laughs> I said to her, eye of the tiger. <laughs> was oh my God. And she did not think it was funny at all. Well, wait, how wait, did you um, say it to you, her? Yeah. Were you like, eye of the tiger, baby? Or were you I was just like, like... I, no, I was like, I'm passing you. I have a tiger. Uh, um, oh my gosh. Which you probably should I mean, the tiger. Yeah, yeah, like, so, so she took her leg and off then, and threw it at you. Then, <laughs> don't worry. She passed me later, so it doesn't matter. But then <laughs> there were these people who had set up their own aid station with beer. And That's, I thought, no, yeah. I'm not going to have a beer. That would be 
not the right thing to do in an Ironman. <laughs> but then it turned out to be two loops, so I took a beer on the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and while I and and then this guy stopped, and I was walking, drinking the beer, and this guy stopped with me, who was from South America, but I can't remember where because I'm a terrible American. And he said, um, "Oh, that's a good idea to drink beer. Are you cramping?" And I said, oh, no, I'm not. And he goes, oh, I was cramping. Um, so I got mustard. And he was still wearing a bike top, and he pulled an entire French's mustard. <laughs> <laughs> French's mustard out of his pocket. Like how big? Like it was a glass bottle like or was regular it regular size? No, like a pint? Like kind you would, one no, of those you like turn upside down in the refrigerator? Yes. No, okay. no, the kinds that have like the squeezy top. Yeah, yeah. So it, it looked just like oh, this. what are those? Like, like you have like a squeezy one on a like your bike bottle, but this had French's mustard in it. And I said, "Where did you get that?" And he goes, "Oh, I was cramping." But he had kind of like a an accent. He goes, "I was cramping, and I know that mustard helps." So I kept asking, "Does anyone have mustard?" <laughs> and he was just taking hits and, off the French's <laughs> bottle. And somebody gave him one. And so he thought I had done the same thing with beer. And I was like, oh, no, they're just giving out the beer. I think the, I, I do either of those actually help with cramping? Actually, mustard supposedly does. Okay. And, there, and so does so do pickles. And so there, there's, there's a company salt, that sells probably, yeah. just pickle juice. Right. So um, I done with my beer. Um, I can't remember what happened to the guy with the mustard. But I, I'm... <laughs> realize I'm going to finish after this like long, hard day and my fingers all screwed up. And I, um, like I'm going to race to the end and I'm racing, racing, racing to the end. And a, this is totally true. A 81 year old man who was race walking past me in the shoe. <laughs> How'd you know he was 81? Finisher shoot. Cause it's set on his <laughs> oh, path. <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, right. That's funny. So then I was like, okay. So then I did this, like hours and hours and hours long and I'm like kind of hot and woozy and um and I go up to the medics and I show them my finger and they don't understand <laughs> and that's when I realize oh they think I'm flipping them off <laughs> and I'm like no I hurt my finger and so they're like well there's nothing we can do for you you have to go to the emergency room so I went to the emergency room. Well, so I finished. I was super happy. I got my medal and my little hat. I went to the emergency room. They gave me a splint. And I had to wear the splint for, um, it was so long. Did I know you then, Larry? Uh, I don't, I don't think, so. think so. It was 2016. Was she 2014. 2014. <laughs> yeah. Was she flipping you so, off when you first met her? First time I met her, she flipped me off. I don't, yeah, I don't know okay. Well, on. you would remember because <laughs> I had a route in San Francisco for Almost six months, like five and a half months, I had to have this splint that kept my middle finger sticking <laughs> straight up. And I, and so when I drove, <laughs> and I had people honking at me, flipping me off, like yelling at me. And that's my, that's my triathlon story. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Bridget Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Not very fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, what? Well, I, I have nothing to add. I don't know what to say to all that. I, just, <laughs> I guess if you have to have a perma middle finger out, I keep San Francisco's the place middle, to do it. I, that's true. Uh, I've been grabbing my left middle insane. finger the whole time. With, okay, with what little time we have <laughs> we left, have a little bit um, of time. I am I am interested, and I don't think I've ever asked you this before. But how did you start doing triathlons? Uh, what was I, the, what made you interested in them? Okay, this is so bizarre, but I had always 
wanted to do a triathlon. I have no idea why. And when I lived in New York in my 20s, I subscribed to Triathlete Magazine, even though I didn't have <laughs> access to a pool and I didn't have a bike. Really? So I had it in my mind, like I wanted so, to do a triathlon. Wait, so, so when you're standing next to Paul Simon and your hair is dyed black and you're wearing cowboy boots, you're thinking, Paul, yeah. someday I'm going to do a triathlon. That happened? No, I never thought I could do it. But <laughs> but that was the same time. It was exactly the same time. Paul Simon does and, not make me think of triathlon. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. But then um, I, I started running a little bit in my 40s, my early 40s. And I my friend said, you should do the New York Marathon. I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do a marathon. That would be amazing. She's like, oh, you should get in the lottery um, because it takes years and years to get in. I was like, okay. So I signed up for the lottery and I got in immediately and mm. I like didn't run at all. So I tried to train for it and got injured instantly and <laughs> um, realized like, I can't, I can't, don't think I can do that. And so I started looking, but, but I grew up as a swimmer, as you know, mm -hmm. Larry. So I knew I could swim. And by that time I'd started riding and I'd actually, I've actually ridden bikes my whole adult life, but I'd gotten back into riding a lot once my kids were older. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to do triathlon. And I just met some women in San Francisco, started training with them, and the rest is history. Wow. Slow yeah. history, very slow. <laughs> slow. Uh, I'm still, I still can't get over the idea that they put the, like, your name. literally, like, your age on your, your calf. I mean, that seems really <laughs> demeaning in certain ways. You know, <laughs> no, uh, no, but that's how you know who your competition is. I mean, well, the weirdest part is that they brand you with it, actually, so it's there. Well, I know. Right. That's what I was going to ask you about, Mr. Rosen, but we won't get into that until later tonight. But I will just say oh. that's just sort of, you're in competition with everybody right <laughs> not just people who are well, i mean it's, that's well, a, it's a weird i mean i'm not in competition with anybody obviously but or not or um, nobody or anybody or but it's just weird that they're like okay this woman is it, 69 is you you there are age group everything's done mm. by age group so you can win there's age group awards the 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 holy grail of iron man triathlon is getting to go to the world championships in kona hawaii and I've, you mm. if you win your age group you get to go but it seems like maybe so, like age group one, two, three, or four would be better than like. Then you'd have to actually, remember. You'd have to be like, "What is this again?" What's the range <laughs> of my age group? Really adult. Oh, by yeah. like by like you know ten hours in, you're like, it seems well, you don't know anything. You but I, don't, I, don't, I mean, the last Iron Man I ran, I you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, it was I don't know when that was actually. <laughs> what I was branded with, but um, that said, that's I don't know. BQ, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bridget Quinn, You're author. so welcome. Such a pleasure. Oh, that is so rude. I know it's mine. <laughs> it's yours. Own <laughs> it. Live it. Because the other Bridget Quinn. What's the other Bridget Quinn do? Uh, she's a uh, she's a broadcaster for Fox News. Yeah. So we want to make sure we know which Bridget Quinn we're talking yeah. about yeah. here. Uh, just but she so probably you know, actually does flip people off like all the time. I feel like maybe. Well, I have twice accidentally been invited she also wrote a novel apparently and i have actually actually twice been invited to speak places where they thought i was her oh funny so. did you go uh and speaking of writing before we did, yeah. before we let you go uh what's yeah. on the docket for bridget oh, quinn thank you thank you for asking i uh am in the like this weekend or monday um teach turning in teaching that was weird um my third book which is a story of an underknown woman artist from mm. 18th century France. And you're like, why would I give yeah, a really? shit? Well, ask yourself, 
Did you give a shit about Hamilton? Did you give a shit about Amadeus? Fair. No. Very but, fair. Right? You but said, if it's a said, great story, then enjoy it. So, but, so that wasn't, about, and that wasn't why you were in Paris two weeks ago. Oh, it was. Okay. Wow. Still doing research. Trying to find her. Well, I was trying to find her grave. Did you find it? <gasps> not telling you. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to buy the book. I'll have Larry. to buy the book. <laughs> Do you have a title for the book yet? No, it's so hard to decide. Like, because, you know, you want the book to say what it's about so that people read it but you also it but it also has to be something that grabs you and what's difficult is french names are really complicated so i'm definitely if you have ideas i'm i'm open i mean but who knew amadeus would be such a great title or hamilton right but i thought suffer suffer what was it suffragist city (laughs) was a great title i know and it and it ended up getting being called she votes but people know people know more than i do about those things so I don't have Maybe. a good title in mind, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, think about thank, it. Think about it. It's about well, artistic rivalry. It's about the French Revolution. Hmm. It's about the painter to Marie Antoinette. Hmm. It's about uh, you can't call it the meat cake. Art. It's done. I know. Yeah, Let's call I know. it the meat cake. Would be good. Guillotine. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. She does live, but barely. Okay. Thank you so much, Bridget, for joining us today. Your story was, as usual, raucous. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Yay! And somewhere, maybe there'll be a woman who's now in her 80s with one leg going, yeah, that's right, I passed you twice. <laughs> that woman is hardcore. I actually saw her in a Kona video. So she no. went to the World Whoa. Championships. She is wow, rad. Wow, that is inspirational, man. I know, totally, totally. <clears throat> well, again, cool. thank you so much. It was our pleasure. Thanks, Bridget. Oh, it was my pleasure. Well, as mu- as much as I know, as you're wedded to the idea of listeners going online and oh, choosing me? one of yeah. these stories, I say good luck to them for this episode. Good, good luck <laughs> choosing one of these above the others. I am with you, but you know that's part of the the, the sport theme. Well, and they're getting a little yeah, you know, sure. be, you could be the ref, the umpire, the fan, the and bar just, fighter. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they're all you know they were tonally different too. Each of them really stood out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fantastic. I know. And I think Bridget and Kim are going to be best, well, not besties, mm-hmm. but, you know, good friends now in the literary world. Because really what we're about here at the Story of Forum podcast <laughs> is creating relationships. Is making connections. Making yeah, connections. Right. Matchmaking. Helping our guests network with each other. Well, that's, that's it for true. us today. You know, <laughs> this is normally the time when we would share some stories about our own participation in these sports. These sports, I know. It's kind of a void. I, mean, I did run the Beta Breakers once. Oh, uh, you did? Freshman year of college, I did. And the great thing about being a freshman in college is you don't have to train for a seven-mile race. Yeah, that's true. The you Beta Breakers. show up and run. So you start at the, I guess, no. this right across the city of... Somewhere. No, it's so, all San Francisco. It's all San Francisco. You just run across San Francisco, basically. And it's wacky. And yeah. I've since watched the race, and you know, but it's not my thing anymore. I don't run. Don't I'm run. not a runner. I'm me. a hiker. I try to run during the yeah. pandemic. And, you know, I just feel no, like, no. I, I don't know. It's just hard. Yeah, you were, you were complaining about your hips earlier yeah, today. My, so, you know, yeah, so. so I'm not doing any running. <laughs> okay. Uh, so thanks. Who do we thank? Who do we thank? Let's well, see. thanks to Bridget. Double B. 
Oh, where's B? BQ. BQ, thanks to Kim. Kim Cross. Thanks and to Chelsea. Chelsea Richter for taking the time out of their clearly busy lives. Absolutely. Jeez, impressive lives. Mm-hmm. To tell us some stories. Uh, thanks to everyone who comes on to take some time out of their lives and tell us some stories and tell you some stories. Uh, yeah. Remember, if you want to uh, have a say, have a say on your favorite story, or just tell us and uh, our guests just how much you loved all three stories, or you know it, or just go tell a story about a time you ran a triathlon. There you go. Uh, go to our Facebook group, Story Forward. Go to our Twitter, Story Dot Forward. Go to our Instagram, Story Dot Forward. And now you can thank your man, Oh Double B, yeah, Brett Battistane of Eavesdrop Studios. Thank you so much, Brett, for hosting us and for letting us use your awesome equipment. And you know, you can find out more about the podcast network at ease-drop, E-A-S-E-D-R-O-P.com. And, and if you can't get gosh. enough of me, you can find me at that Larry Rosen at Twitter and Instagram. And Christian Win Christian Christian underscore win at Instagram and on Twitter. Sort of. But I, yeah. yeah. As mentioned, I don't, I don't yeah, tweet. We're, we're going to pound that joke into the ground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't know, Mr. Rosen, what do you, what do you, what do we all say at the end of this thing? All that's left to say is to oh make sure God. that you keep the story moving forward.